This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Thank you everyone for tuning in once again to the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world. Hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools and in the cupful. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me as always, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Thanks again for tuning in. We really appreciate your ears, and we are ready for another jam-packed episode. A lot has happened, has transpired in the last seven days. Yeah, I've got a huge list here of injuries and outjuries. By the way, outjuries, I think, is a term that we coined a couple of seasons ago, or at least I'm going to go with that. But yeah, we've got a big list of players to talk about, a lot of movement on these teams. And of course, whenever there's injuries or outjuries, that doesn't affect only the player coming out or coming in, but it affects all of the line mates. So we're going to break down who's benefiting and who's getting hurt by all of these players moving in and out of their lineups. Before we get into it, Brian, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. Basically, the top fantasy hockey website in the world. And we are presented by them because we are the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world. Hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pool. So it's a perfect match. And they are fantastic. Every morning you could go and read the daily ramblings. They talk all about everything that's happened the night before. You could even click on the players' names. They're linked. And then you could see all the other times they've been mentioned. Or you could go to see their player profile and see what their PDO is and all these advanced stats, what line they're on. It's, like, so great. You go to one thing, you jump around to a million other things. Of course, they've got your starting goalies and your line combinations, articles about interesting things that are happening, player comparisons. They've got it all. It's a great site, DauberHockey.com. Yeah, those ramblings really are invaluable. And one of the great things about that player profile feature that we have that we have talked endlessly about, and for good reason, over the last few weeks, is it links to the last few times that a player has been mentioned in the rambling. So it might not be like an official piece of news, but it is like a, well, a rambling. I was going to say whispering or muttering or whatever, but it's a rambling. And that stuff is good to know. That is enough to give you the edge in your pool. So rule your pool with DauberHockey.com and Keeping Carlson together. Is that their catchphrase? Rule your pool? That's it. Oh, I was going to say, if not, we should take that. But okay, (laughs) they could have it. Let's get started. And let's start in Montreal. Two huge injuries this week. And I thought there was already a huge injury because right after we recorded the last episode, or it seemed like maybe the day after, we found out that Brendan Gallagher was going to be down with an injury for a long time. He blocked a shot with his left hand. 
Next thing you know, he was having surgery and he's going to miss a minimum of six weeks. And this is a guy, maybe an unsung hero of fantasy hockey. Like, he doesn't get that much play. But so far this season, he had 19 points in 22 games, nine of those goals, 70 shots. He was having a fantastic season and he was in a great spot in the lineup with Placanic and Pacioretty on the first line, top power play. So this is a huge void that needs to be filled for the Habs. And we've already been seeing throughout the week a number of different players being mentioned as potentially taking his spot. I saw some mutterings about Alex Semin potentially getting there. And of course, that ended quickly. And also, I think he got injured and now he's going to be out for a while. Not fantasy relevant, of course. We saw Devontae Smith-Pelly up there. Alex Galchenyuk is getting an opportunity on the top power play. There's a lot of consequences to this Gallagher injury. So Brian, why don't you run them all down? Yeah, when he got injured, all kinds of names were being thrown out there. Devontae Smith-Pelly, Brian Flynn, a guy named Bud Holloway, which is a really fantastic hockey name. Right out of Friday Night Lights. I was actually going to say Stompin' Tom song, but I guess (laughs) either one would work. In fact, Bud Holloway has not really been in the lineup. Christian Thomas was someone who got called up, but he's not getting called up to play in a big role. And we want to know who is stepping up. Well, we had Devontae Smith-Pelly take advantage of his first opportunity to play on that top line, picking up two goals on two shots, shooting 100%. Wow. And the first game that he spent up there, so good for him. But the one I'm most excited about right now, and it is because I'm personally invested, is Alex Galchenyuk. He has had such a frustrating year so far. And my advice on him at the start of the year, which I followed myself, by the way, was look, the Habs, their problem last season was a lack of offense and a lack of focus on offense. And that's what they're going to fix coming into this season, maybe after Terrian gets fired. And once they fix that offense, the power of Galchenyuk will be unleashed. And... We thought it might happen because there was a very exciting start to the season with Galchenyuk. He and linemate Lars Eller just exploded right off the top. Galchenyuk himself had four points in his first two games, but then nothing. And the weird part was that Montreal like is fixing their offensive woes, but Galchenyuk has just not played a very significant role in that to date, and that's what makes it so frustrating. He had just seven points. In the 18 games that followed that four-point start to the season, which weakened his season line down to two goals and nine assists for 11 points after 20 games played. But now we are seeing something from him. He is one of the hottest players in the league right now, riding a five-game point streak during which he has five goals, two assists, three power play points, and nine shots on goal. Of course, this didn't come out of nowhere. It all came once Gallagher got injured. Five points in those three games. And in shallower leagues, like, he is forcing your hand. If he is a free agent somehow, if someone gave up on him, and I almost have in a fairly deep league, he's a very good streaming option, at worst in the short term. Hopefully better than that. And in leagues where you own him, I have him in the cup full, as I've said. It's a touch more complicated because his dry run earlier seemed like it would last forever But it seemed about as uncharacteristic as like this crazy spurt that he's on right now. So the question that we are inevitably getting is, do you sell high on Galchenyuk if you have him? And I actually put him on the trading block and I'm getting some offers, which I would have jumped at like even a week ago. And now I'm really holding back. And remember, like this was hoped to be a breakout season for Galchenyuk. And he's actually now on pace for 60 points thanks to his recent run, which is a large improvement over what was essentially a half a point per game pace over the first three seasons of his career. With Gallagher out maybe six weeks, I feel like this is a really good opportunity for Galchenyuk, and he's going to be a great guy to have in this time. Elon, you already said that he's moved on to the top power play. So if you own him, I would say hold for now and maybe consider moving in a few weeks. 
unless you can already get like a proven 60 plus point guy back in a return at this very moment from a very excited Pooley or a diehard Habs fan. Brian, I've got to say, you mocked Devontae Smith-Pelly a little bit for scoring two goals on only two shots. And obviously you don't mock him. Like, obviously that's great for him that he got two goals. But maybe people who jumped on him because they thought, oh, maybe he'll be able to score two goals every game on that top line. You're like, well, he's going to have to take a few more shots because he's probably not going to score 100% of his shots. But if you take a look at Alex Galchenyuk's line, he scored two goals against New Jersey in the last game on two shots. The game before that, one goal against New Jersey on one shot. The game before that, a goal against the Rangers also on one shot. His last four goals have been on four shots. So he's not exactly a guy that's playing in a sustainable way either, at least in terms of scoring goals. I don't see a guy taking one or two shots a game, continuing with this goal pace. So in my opinion, I think now is definitely a time to sell high on Alex Galchenyuk. He's been having a pretty brutal season, like you said, and obviously this big run right now has been great, and it probably will continue to some extent with him being on the top power play, but the fact that he wasn't even on the top power play was a big disappointment to me and made me really realize, as people were asking earlier in the year about whether they want Galchenyuk or Brendan Gallagher, I remember it was kind of a thing where you had to think about a little while. As the season progressed, I started thinking, Gallagher, for sure, he takes more shots, he gets more points, he's on a better line, and I feel like this Galchenyuk run is not going to keep up just because of the shooting percentage, and in the end, it's going to just disappear completely once Gallagher comes back, and I think he's going to go back to that half-point-per-game guy. So I think I might disagree a little bit. I would say definitely sell high. You were saying to try to sell high. I think like definitely try to do it now while he's on this unsustainable run. Your sell high seems like a really easy piece of advice to follow, but there are different definitions of what selling high gets you back. Is it a 50 point guy? Is it a 55, a 60 point guy? To your point on Smith-Pelly, I wasn't mocking him at all. I'm actually quite happy and like, you know, that's going to happen. You're going to have good games like that. And being in a top-line role is a great way to have a game like that. But smith Pally has just 28 shots on goal in 24 games so far this season. Only three shots on goal in his last three games with those added opportunities. So I'm just not too optimistic about him, though I do think he will, you know, luck his way to a few more points now that he is where he is. And as for Galchenyuk, absolutely. He is seeing some really decent puck luck. I think you make an excellent point. One, like, slight counterpoint would be that two of his goals have come on the power play where you're expected to have a better shooting percentage. So that extra power play time is paying dividends somewhat. You're right, though. You're still not going to score on 100% of your power play shots. But good shooters tend to score on, I'd say, 20 to 25% of their power play shots. Cool, yeah. So I guess that's a good rundown. Smith Pelly is probably someone you only want to add in a deep league. Someone asked on Facebook if they should be jumping all over Smith Pelly after that huge game. And I just mentioned, remember Dale Weiss and how everyone wanted him? Look what happened there. It's for sure going to be the same with Smith Pelly, in my opinion. And I think it'll be a fun run for Galchenyuk owners. But yeah, if you could sell him, that would be great. And you know what? I would have said the same thing about Mike Condon back when he was on his last run. Because I would have said, well, Carey Price is injured, but he's going to come back soon. And Condon's never going to play again. Well, Price did come back. His owners, I'm sure, were very happy. He played amazing, like you'd expect. And then now he's injured again! The same injury! And he's going to be out for at least a month. We don't even know. So right away, Brian, of course, Mike Condon, if you dropped him, ah, that must be so frustrating if someone else grabbed him before you got the chance to get him back. If he's still available in your league, I feel like you have to grab him right away. We've been getting questions on the Keeping Carlson Facebook group, people asking, should I drop this guy for Condon, this guy, you know, some disappointing goalie? And I feel like for the short term, there's few better options than Mike Condon. At least that's what I would think. How about you, Brian? 
No doubt about it. Like, if you're a team who's been looking at picking up, like, a Ranta or a Darling or even a Kudobin here and there, then Condon is probably the guy you want to settle with right now, if you can. He has had a very good start to the season, and I'm going to get into the bigger picture, but just overall, uh, he's ninth in the NHL right now in even strength save percentage amongst goalies who have played fairly regularly so far this year. And he's actually just, like, a small smidge behind Carey Price, who is eighth in the same stat Condon, though, he's third in high danger save percentage, which we talked about last week. He's got an 896 high danger save percentage. And just for reference, only five goalies in the league are currently above even 880 in that measure. And league leaders last year generally finished above 860, followed by a bunch in the 840 and 850s. So just to make sure I understand, when you're saying someone has a high, high danger save percentage, that's kind of like saying they have a high shooting percentage in that you don't think it's sustainable and you think that that's propping up an overall save percentage number that you think must come down if it's partly due to such a high, high danger save percentage? Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. And I'm not saying that it's not sustainable for, you know, say 20 or 30 games. And again, the example we gave last week was Andrew Hammond. And right now, Henrik Lundqvist is one of the top goalies with a number that is bound to come down in that category as well. But I think you sort of nailed it when you said propping up. Like if a goalie is having a decent even strength number, but their high danger save percentage or their shorthanded save percentage is abnormally high, then you have to think that that save percentage number, that general save percentage number might come crashing down a bit because they are making their name in situations where they really shouldn't be unless they're a super elite goalie. And unless they've been doing it for years, I don't necessarily trust them to do it. So right now, again, Condon's at 896. Last year's league leaders were about 860. So there's room for him to regress for sure. And he already sort of has. Like, he's looked very average in five of his last six starts, putting up some stinkers in there, some of his worst starts of the season. But at the end of the day... I don't know if anyone really cares because he seems to be a serviceable goalie on a very good team, which automatically puts him in like our third goalie tier at worst. So if you need goaltending help, I wouldn't hesitate at all to add Mike Condon. Yeah, I feel like if you're in a league where maybe you're holding three goalies and Condon's available and you're like, I don't really need a fourth goalie. I feel like just grab him because someone else is going to want him. At worst, you can trade him because he's basically going to be a starting goalie for at least a month. And we don't know. That's the big thing. It's a big question mark over Carey Price. How long will he be out? Maybe it'll be less than a month. But right now, we don't know. And I think there's just value in having Condon locked down if you can so that you could either trade him or use him as you see fit. And by the way, in the cupful, and by the way, we've mentioned this acronym. In case you don't know, that stands for the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League basically the most competitive league Brian and I have ever been in. We use the free agent acquisition budget and an auction every day in order to pick up free agents. You can't just pick someone up. You got to wait till 11 a.m., bid how much you want. You could bid zero. If no one else bids, you'll get him. The day after Carey Price got injured, there was huge bidding in Brian's division. I remember mentioning to Brian, hey, maybe you should make a bid for Condon now that Price is injured. And Brian was like, I don't think there's a point. I think there's going to be bids that are much higher than what I'm willing to give. And he was right. Five of the 14 poolies made bids on Condon with bids like $27, $21, $15. This is out of 100 total available for the season. So a lot of people were jumping on Condon. And yeah, I think you should as well, even though it is interesting to know that he has gone down lately. And maybe the other interesting thing about Condon playing instead of Price is that if you have a player playing against Montreal and you're used to thinking, oh, I'm probably going to sit that guy because Price is obviously going to stop all of his shots, maybe they are a bit more regular of a defensive team 
team now, and maybe you can feel a bit more confident playing your player against Condon? I don't know, that's just something that I'm thinking right now, especially since he hasn't been as good as he was before. One question we've gotten a lot about him is like, who should I trade him for? What value? And of course, it depends on your league. But my first tip is, of course, to seek out the Carey Price owner in your league. So if you did pay a lot to get him or make a sacrifice to get him, hoping that he'd be a trade ship for you, sneaky play, but go ahead and hunt down Carey Price's owners. Mm and see what they're willing to give up. Also worth mentioning that Condon did start both ends of the back-to-back against New Jersey this weekend, which is, uh, I don't know, a show of trust. Maybe at a 9.26 in the first game, and 9.03 in the second, Dustin Tokarski is with the team. Remember last season, he put up a respectable 9.10 save percentage. I wonder if Condon continues to falter if Tokarski could get a couple more starts in there, but I would not expect him to start more than, say, one every three games. Condon was the guy that the Habs chose out of training camp, and I expect they're going to roll with him as long as he lets them. Okay, and since we're talking about goalies, we already talked about these guys last week, but we've gotten more information. Last week, we talked about how Pavlek looked to be injured, and he might be out for a few games. Now it's been announced he's going to be out for sure for all of January. Maybe we'll come back in February. So it's a long-term injury for Andre Pavlek, which led to Connor Hellebuck being called up soon after we finished recording the last podcast. Brian mentioned that he's someone that you should have on your radar, and we talked about Michael Hutchinson as someone you definitely want to grab. But you know what? Since Pavlik has gotten injured, Hutchinson has had the opportunity to really cement his number one job, and he has totally blown it. He hasn't even had one game above a 900 save percentage in his start since Pavlik went down. And Hellebuck got a turn against Minnesota, only had 15 shots against, but he stopped 14 of them and he got the win compared to Hutchinson. That's looking like quite the improvement, especially lately. So I have to imagine, Brian, that moving forward, Hellebuck is going to get a strong chance. You look on Twitter, if you search for Hellebuck, it's everyone saying, why are we playing Hutchinson? Wouldn't we have won this game against Colorado if Hellebuck was playing? And you never know. Maybe it's the case. That's my impression of people on Twitter, by the way. I feel like at this point, if you picked up Hutchinson, I'd be nervous. And I think actually I would drop him for Hellebuck right now. What do you think about that? Wow. Bold move, Elon. And you know, uh... I want to approve. I just, like, this is an organization that started Pavlik even long after it was clear that Hutchinson should have been the guy last season. So I don't know how quick, how nimble they're going to be with this goaltending decision. But like you said, it seems to be right in front of them. Like, they have no other option. In his last three starts, Hutchinson is 0-3. He's let in about four goals each game and has an 861 save percentage. Meanwhile, Hellebuck has had one start during that time. He was coddled quite a bit by the team in front of him in his first NHL start. He faced only 15 shots against Minnesota. And like Elon said, he stopped 14 of them for the win in a 933 save percentage. Hutch really is not an impressive NHL goalie this year. And we sort of warned against it after his amazing first half last year when he was at his peak. That maybe, you know, it just wasn't going to happen. Maybe he's really just an NHL average goalie at best. And that seems to be the case so far this year. 901 save percentage. Even Pavlik playing on the same team with the same circumstances has a 906 save percentage. And Pavlik has like really sort of turned himself into a measuring stick for poor goaltending over the last few years. Hutchinson ranks 37th out of 39 goalies this season in even strength save percentage ahead of just Varlamov and Talbot, and he trails guys like Ramo, Ward, and actually, like, just a little bit, Bobrovsky and Rask, too, but I think we have a little more faith in them to pick it up. And continuing on, Elon, what we said about certain numbers propping a goalie up, potentially, 
Hutchinson ranked sixth in the league in shorthanded save percentage. So were it not for some pretty great goaltending on the penalty kill, he might actually have a worse sub-900 save percentage on the air. So all this to say, it seems pretty obvious that the Jets should start Hellebuck. Why not see what happens, even if he's just like NHL average or even like a little bit below? That's still an upgrade over what the Jets currently have. And the Jets being in that like deadly central division They need to figure it out before they fall too far behind. I think they should give Hellebuck the ball and run with it. I own him in the cup full. I actually snuck him onto my team with a $0 bid because he was added as a free agent at like 1 in the morning and nobody thought to check before the free agent acquisition deadline at 11 a.m. that same morning. Would I drop Hutch for Hellebuck was your initial question. And I'm going to go with yes. If this is my third goalie, that's a move I'm willing to make. If it's my number two I might want to wait, although you do risk the chance of getting burned and not getting in on Hellebuck soon enough. I just I just worry that the Jets aren't going to make the same goaltending decision. Like, I have as much faith in their goaltending choices as I do in Calgary's, which is to say, not much at all. <laughs> well, if Hutchinson is your number two goalie, then you should just pick up Hellebuck and make him your number three goalie because you need that handcuff because otherwise your goaltending situation is screwed in my opinion. So either way, you should be grabbing Hellebuck if he's a free agent in your league, I think, just because he has the potential to be a starter that gives you good numbers. So you'd have to be in a pretty shallow league for him to be just sitting there as a free agent. Brian, let's move on to another big injury. Derek Stepan on the New York Rangers is going to be out for at least a month. He's got broken ribs due to a hit by Matt Bolesky. We won't comment on things like that, but we will comment on the fact that Stepan actually hadn't been having too great of a season. 12 points in 23 games, basically a half point per game guy. So this might actually not be the worst news for people who have been deciding whether or not to hold on to Stepan and try to ride out this cold streak. At least now they could put him on the IR and pick someone else up in the meantime. And if you want to pick someone else up from the Rangers, you know, looking at their depth chart, this injury to Stepan makes them look pretty shallow all of a sudden. Like they've got this first line of Brassard, Rick Nash, and Matt Zuccarello. And if you get anyone from there, you're doing great. Matt Zuccarello is quickly, quickly becoming an elite fantasy option. And a guy that you should feel pretty great about if you drafted him this year, because you probably got him significantly later than what he would be drafted at right now. Rick Nash started the year in a bit of a slump, but he's really been turning it on lately. And Broussard, yeah, those are the top three in Rangers scoring. Beyond that, you know, you look at the second line, uh, I see like Chris Kreider, Kevin Hayes, and now maybe Emerson Etem will be there. Now that Stepan is out, this is not a great line. Then you see other names floating around, like JT Miller got a couple of goals recently. Oscar Lindbergh is still there, getting a point every now and then and making you scratch your head and wonder, who is this guy? How is he doing it? But he's definitely slowed down, as we predicted he would. Though... Three points in his last five games, nothing to sneeze at. But yeah, the Rangers overall don't look like they have such a strong offense. And I'm curious to know, Brian, is there anyone aside from the top three on offense that you would want on the Rangers right now? Elon, you kind of hit the nail on the head, I think, for most Stepan owners. Stepan is doing that thing again this year where he does nothing for long periods of time or not much. He doesn't earn his roster spot or his draft position for a while until he does, and he hasn't done that yet. So I don't think anyone is terribly broken up about what essentially has been a half-point-per-game guy going on IR. Maybe now you can stream somebody that you've been looking at for a while, try and get a few better short-term options instead of waiting so long on the long-term option. The one ranger outside those top three that I might be interested in right now is someone who has taken his share of jabs on the show so far this season, and that's Chris Kreider. 
He was highly rated going into this season, and Elon, way back on one of our pre-draft episodes to start the preseason, we noticed Yahoo had him ranked like abnormally high, and in hits leagues, maybe he carries that kind of value, but in points leagues, he's really, like, we didn't like him. We didn't like the ranking Yahoo gave him. We didn't like much about him, and I still don't. He has just 10 points in 24 games so far this season, three goals on 49 shots. Not a whole lot of relevance, again, unless you might be interested in his hits. But now he steps onto the top power play with Stepan out, and not like Stepan was doing a whole lot with his spot there, but it'll be interesting to see if Kreider maybe can pick up another point here or there. I imagine if you already own him, this is like a bit of a bonus for you, but it's not enough for me quite yet to go out and add him myself. Seeing how the lineup shakes out at even strength, Stepan played most of his time so far this season with Kreider and JT Miller, and those two were actually split up in their first game without Stepan, so it's hard to say exactly what it's going to look like at the end of the day, One name that we were interested in going into this season was Kevin Hayes, and he actually got a bit of a bump in roll and ice time in the first game without Stepan in the lineup. He saw more than 15 minutes last night. That was just the second time he's seen that much ice in his last 10 games played. Yeah, I think it's interesting in general. Like I think we all think of the Rangers as this really high-powered team, but they've actually lost three games in a row now. I don't mean to say that this is because Derek Stepan got injured, but Lundqvist had two clunkers of starts in a row against Boston and Montreal. Ranta didn't do that much better against Philadelphia yesterday. Actually, he didn't do that bad, letting two goals. But I'm sure Lundqvist will be fine. But overall, for the Rangers, I wonder if we should start worrying about them having maybe some depth issues, which is something we haven't heard about them for a long time. They're still strong on defense. They still have Lundqvist, who I'm sure will be fine. So I wouldn't get too worried. Brian, here's a weird injury I want to get into. And it's not weird. It's the flu. Everyone gets the flu, or I guess most people get the flu every once in a while. The weird thing is what's been going on around this injury. So, of course, I'm talking about Frederick Anderson on Anaheim. He's had the flu, missed the past week. You'd assume he'll be back soon, maybe next week. But the interesting thing is John Gibson got called up with Anderson unavailable to play. On the day that he was called up, Kudobin was scheduled to play, started the game, did horribly, got pulled, and ever since, Gibson has been playing. And, of course, that starts to make people wonder, like, is Gibson, is now the time? Like, we were really expecting Gibson to make an impact even last year, and he ended up getting sent to the minors. This year, he didn't make the team. So I was like, all right, forget about him unless it's a keeper league, like a really deep keeper league. You don't want to waste a roster spot with Gibson, who's just not going to play any games. Now, all of a sudden, he's getting in there. He's done all right. He's got a 918 save percentage overall. I'm sure he's the type of goaltender that, if given the opportunity, he could give you really good numbers on your fantasy team. Like, if Gibson was announced as the number one goalie, I'd want him more than Hellebuck, I would think. So, Brian, I know I'm rambling a little bit, just wondering, like, what's the situation here in Anaheim? Like, when Anderson comes back, is Gibson just going down? Or is he someone that you should pick up from free agency now on the off chance that he ends up staying with the team? Because I feel like if he's on the team, I think he competes with Frederick Anderson for starts. Well, to begin with, I have a bit of a qualm with you saying that maybe Gibson could be as good as Hellebuck. And, like, certainly the pedigree is there. But in the NHL time he's seen, he has not been an above-average NHL goalie. He's been hovering around average. We did see him get a pretty fair look last season before getting sent down to the AHL. He had a 9.14 save percentage in 23 games played. This year, yeah, he has a 9.18, but if you look at his starts, only one of the three was a quality start, which is not something that you're hoping for from a fantasy goalie. Of course, a very small sample size. If I'm making a choice on an Anaheim goalie, well, first... I'm kicking myself for picking up an Anaheim goalie in the first place. And I know you and I, Elon, we lauded Frederick Anderson as somebody great who sort of flies under the radar, is 
you know, an undisputed number one option on a top Western Conference team. And now we find ourselves in this situation. And and I'm goaltending always seems to be very cloak and dagger. Like, remember when Gibson was sent down to the AHL last season, it was shocking. When Kudobin was signed in the offseason, it was surprising. When Gibson didn't make the team out of camp and there was no indication that he was going to get called up at any time during the season, that was also very surprising. So, you know, your guess is as good as mine. If I had to give you Anaheim goalie power rankings right now, it would be Anderson still at the top, then Gibson, then Kudobin. I think the opportunities that Gibson has seen sort of indicate that Anaheim at least wants to see what they've got with him, or they want him to start more often than Kudobin does, at least while they have him up with the team. And I think the beat writer for the Orange County Register, Eric Stevens, who does fantastic work on Twitter at Iceman Cometh, I think he summed it up best by saying, oh, to be a fly on the wall in the NHL Ducks management discussions on what to do when Freddie isn't sick anymore. And of course, Freddie being Freddie Anderson, even the beat writer has no idea what they're going to do. And Anderson was spotted in the press box last night. And that was like cause for, oh my goodness, what might be happening? Is he, is he well again? And are they just holding him back? Who knows? Who knows? But I stand by those rankings that I just threw out there. Yeah, so I guess the answer for fantasy advice is just, if you've got an open spot, and it wouldn't hurt, like, it would be really nice to just have Gibson, just in case, but you probably don't want to drop a big asset for him, because he could be back in the minors as early as next week. He could be starting three games next week, or he could be back in the minors, so how's that for uncertainty? That's pretty good for uncertainty. <laughs> and Brian, one more, one more injury, and then we're going to get to all the good news of all the players who have come back that we're so excited about, but I just want to mention Tyler Ennis, another mysterious situation. He's out with an upper body injury. No one is saying what it is. He's only day-to-day status on ESPN and Yahoo. We don't know how long he's going to be out, but I'm seeing some murmurings on Twitter that it may be a, actually a really long-term injury. Maybe by the time you listen to this episode, more information will have come out about him. But Ennis, I think that's another step in, right? Someone who people were excited about going into the year, and at this point maybe aren't so disappointed to see him go on their IR, if he'll go on the IR. Right now it's very frustrating because you've already lost three games from him with him being day-to-day, so if you don't have an IR plus spot, you've just been wasting a roster spot. But assuming he goes on IR, it's probably not the worst thing. He only has 10 points in 19 games. He's especially been slumping lately. He had no points in his previous three games before this mysterious injury. So I'm curious first just to know what are your thoughts on Tyler Ennis in general, like pre-injury? Was he someone that you were expecting to bounce back from this terribly average start? Or is he someone that was already near the bottom of your roster and someone you were thinking of dropping? Well, I think perception, in my mind at least, I own him as well. And perception was, oh yeah, like he's going to be fine. Like we predicted a bit of a breakout season. We thought, hey, 60 points isn't out of reach with a strong Buffalo top six. And now it's like, well, you know what? If he hits 50, we'll be happy. And it is like a step on situation. Like you said, this could be a blessing in disguise as long as he goes on IR quickly enough in your format. And this has definitely been disappointing to say the least. And I feel like we've already said at least that much between you and I, Elon. So what do you do now if you have Ennis and you can't drop him? Well, I feel like he should be at the bottom of your roster about already. And so it depends on the depth of your league and what you're going to do about it. But one Sabre who eyes are turning to might be Sam Reinhardt, who picked up two goals on five shots playing on the first line in a game against Nashville on Saturday night. So that is a player of interest. And we've mentioned his name on the show before the season as a rookie, sort of flying under the radar that nobody is really paying a whole lot of attention to because they're all googly-eyed over the rest of the Sabres rookies. But I am a little actually worried for, like, 
a guy like Jack Eichel, who's at about a half a point per game pace, we were hopeful that he could do better than that. But with a Buffalo top six that has not been healthy, essentially all season long, it hasn't been as solid and strong through and through as we would have thought. Like if you look at their second line right now, Eichel is playing with Gianta and Matt Molson. So hopefully they can all get healthy at the same time. And a big part of that, Elon, do you know Do you know where I'm going with this? I think I have a guess. I think there's a player on Buffalo that has a lot of injury concerns that I think a lot of people are curious to know your thoughts on. Yeah, so a big part of that is going to be Evander Kane. And can he stay healthy? He's already been like back and forth since returning from an injury that he suffered a few games into the season. And that was coming off an injury that ended his season last year. So what does Evander Kane do? Well, he steps right onto the top line with Ryan O'Reilly and Sam Reinhart. And he's been back like with a bit of a vengeance so far. He was pointless in his first three games back, which I know made a lot of people roll their eyes at him, you know, again, with this guy who's always injured and he never produces. But then he made like a grocery store's vegetable selection and produced. Oh, God. Picking up a goal and two apples in his last three games played. What is happening? (laughs) He's also had three or more shots on goal in five of his last six games since returning from injury. Like I said, he's on the top line. And I still see Kane the way I have over the last few years as a constant shot on goal getter and should be goal scoring threat. But I appreciate that his fantasy value has likely depreciated from where I would have suggested it should be going into this season. That said, I am still optimistic, and if you have a streaming spot or something and he's out there in your league, an opportunity to grab a guy like him doesn't come along often, I would drop your ambivalence towards him and just go for it if he happens to be available. Yeah, I feel like if Kane is a free agent, it's a no-brainer to pick him up, just because he is going to get a lot of shots and be good while he's healthy. The bigger question is, like, do you trade for someone like Evander Kane and actually give someone up to get him Because, you know, I think he does have value on your roster if he's healthy, but you never know. Already, injury concerns. Since he's been back from injury, you don't want to have another Carey Price situation. And yeah, as Tyler Ennis, he's been disappointing. I guess overall, we're over a quarter of the way through the season, and the Sabres haven't really been the offensively exciting team we hoped they would be. Like, I guess better than last year, for sure. But, you know, you have Ryan O'Reilly leading the team right now with 19 points in 24 games. So he's been the big standout. Aside from that, like, second in team scoring is Ristolainen, who, again, he's also been a huge standout. 14 points in 24 games. That's amazing for a defenseman. Then, like you said, Eichel, half point per game, 12 points in 24. Matt Molson, 10 points. Like, these are guys that we thought were going to have a surge now that the Sabres were getting injected with some offense. So far, you know, not as exciting as we hoped. Maybe we have to reduce our expectations on all of these guys, including Tyler Ennis when he comes back, because maybe he's not playing with the world beaters that he thought he potentially would be. Okay, and I know I promised no more injuries. I'm sure Brian's rolling his eyes at me right now. I'm not even going to ask Brian for a response. I'm just going to say Nail Yakupov is injured because of a linesman. He's going to be out for a <laughs> while. And at the same time, news came out that Connor McDavid might come back sooner than expected. So I would just say if you could just get Nail Yakupov and stash him in your IR, if he comes back around the same time that Connor McDavid comes back, you never know. The magic can come back. Like Yakupov's been stone cold ever since McDavid has been out. But I feel like put him in your IR. Doesn't cost you anything. And maybe when he comes back and McDavid comes back, maybe they get the band back together and make beautiful music once again. 
That's a great tip, Elon. And all the while, Leon Dreisaitl keeps putting up points. Yeah, don't worry about Dreisaitl even when McDavid comes back, I would say. Maybe we were a little too crazy about Dreisaitl last week, and he did go on a bit of a slump. And by a bit of a slump, I mean like two games without getting a point after that episode. Maybe he's not like a 70-point guy, but for sure just a viable contributor to your team. All right, Brian, let's get to these outjuries. Though we, I guess we did talk about Evander Kane, so we kind of already started going there. But now let's burst out with Paul Stasny, finally back on the Blues, and right away took his rightful spot on the top line and on the top power play. So if you're holding on to Yori Laterra because of his plum position, he had already started slipping, and now he's for sure just, like, not rosterable, I think, in most leagues, unless they're very deep. David Backus got a run on that top line and was producing. That's not going to happen. It's Paul Stasny. He's back. And so far, not too bad of a return. He didn't do much in his first game back against Buffalo. Then had a huge game against Pittsburgh where he scored a goal and an assist. Five shots on goal. Not much yesterday against Columbus. But I think overall, Paul Stastny, you know, he's almost a point-per-game player this season. It hasn't been that many games. I'm very curious to see how he'll do. And definitely, he's the most exciting center to own on St. Louis, I would say. Yeah, he came out of the gate strong with five points in his first five games. And he has, like you said, Elon, two points in the three games since he's returned. So now he's up to seven points in his last eight games played, two of those coming on the power play. And in that game against Pittsburgh, where he got both those points since his injury, he registered a season-high five shots on goal. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you should come to expect that in every game, because that's really a feat he managed only five times in 74 games last season. But obviously it helps to have guys like Tarasenko and Steen as your wingmen along the way. And maybe in this position, he will get a few more shots on goal. But again, we're not expecting him to totally change who he is as a player very quickly. We saw Laterra in that middle spot for a while while Stasny was out and realized that that spot doesn't necessarily mean you're guaranteed anything, not shots, not points, but I do hold out hope that Stasny can make the most of this opportunity over the course of the year and that he does get a long look there. Like, let's say the next eight games, I would like him to be on that top line for the entirety of those eight games without it being shaken up. I'm optimistic that he has a shot to do that. But like you said, Elon, like Laterra and Bacchus are options that can be thrown up there. So the center position in St. Louis on that top line is prone to like, they have a lot of options that they can roll with. Like I said, I hope to see Stasny get an extended look and make the most of it. Yeah, and we should mention that top line on St. Louis, like aside from that center position, which is in flux, Vladimir Tarasenko, 24 points in 23 games. Alex Steen, 21 points in 24 games. Both of these guys have been so great and so viable to their fantasy owners. Tarasenko skyrocketed to being drafted in the first round of a lot of pools. Maybe some people were thinking, this is a bit much for a guy who just has had one good season. But at this point, it's over. Tarasenko is a first round guy to be drafted in your pool. It's just a thing now. He's got 14 goals in 23 games. This is almost a 50 goal pace. Yeah, and let's not look past Alex Steen. I think he gets overlooked a lot as a part of this line. He's done very well the last three seasons, starting with two seasons ago where he was on that crazy goal-scoring run. He ended up with 33 goals in 68 games played and a pretty high shooting percentage, but he still has been able to carry on producing points, and Tarasenko, of course, has been a part of making that happen. He had 64 points last season, even with, like, 24 goals, 40 assists, and this year he is not far from a point-per-game pace. I feel like he gets overlooked. If a lot of people take Tarasenko right away, I feel like Steen goes, like, three or four rounds later. Maybe that same mistake won't be made next year, although he is getting a little bit older. So maybe there's a little more reason to worry about his future production. But anyway, I just want to sort of give him kudos because I feel like he's the unspoken hero. 
Yeah, that's fair. And definitely just all the more reason why you want to have the center on that top line. And hopefully that'll be Stasny. And if you have him, that's great. If he's a free agent, grab him right away. Like, don't even ask us. You want Paul Stasny. And since we're talking about St. Louis, Brian, how about I throw out a couple of snoozers on the Blues? We already talked about Laterra, who I think is a snoozer at this point. But how about another name, a guy who we were so excited about, but we've been starting to get a lot of questions about Colton Pareko. He was blowing everyone away. You know, in October, he had seven points in 11 games, and a lot of that was due to Shattenkirk being injured and him getting an increased role. Since Shattenkirk has come back, Pareko has really fallen back down to maybe what we more expected from him in his rookie season. In his last eight games played, he only has two assists, and he's currently riding a four-game pointless streak and only one shot on goal in his past three games. Also, his time on ice, it's been all over the place. He got up to like 19 minutes, even 21 minutes in one game a few weeks ago, but then he, just a couple of games ago, went down to 15 minutes of ice time, then up to 19 yesterday against Columbus. So I'm not sure what's going on with his ice time, but definitely his production has decreased. His shots on goal, and that was something really exciting about him, is he was a defenseman who was taking so many shots. That's gone down a lot, and I think there might be better options. Maybe even like a Shane Gostebier, or just Ghostbear, as we prefer to call him. You know, maybe he's a better option right now. I know you might think, well, Ghostbear's only going to be good while Strait is out, but, you know, Pareko's not really doing that well at all. So, Brian, between those two, who would you want? I would swap him out for Ghostbear, no doubt about it. And the reason is, Elon, you already sort of mentioned, I was hoping I could blow everybody away with it, but you already said, and it's obvious, and we warned of it, when Shattenkirk came back, Pareko's production and role did go down. In the nine games that Pareko has played since Shattenkirk has come back into the lineup, he has just three points, a goal and two assists. In his last seven games played, he has like a lot of one-shot-on-goal games. In fact, they've all been one-shot-on-goal games, except for one of them, which was a three-shot game, and another, which was a zero-shot game. So all the reasons we liked Pareko have sort of faded away, as we might have expected. So if you sold high on him already, congratulations. If not, it's time to start looking for a replacement. And while we're on the topic, we should just give some props to Shattenkirk, who's on an eight-game point-scoring streak, making up for lost time. In his first three games back from injury, he did nothing. In the last eight since then, he has at least a point in each of them, two goals, eight assists, and things are very good. For anybody who was feeling a little bit of a pinch with Shattenkirk, on their IR, they are now being rewarded for their patience. Yeah, and as expected, a lot of those points are coming on the power play. So Shattenkirk, an extremely valuable guy in a league where power play points count for more than just regular points. Okay, and I had one other snoozer on St. Louis, and maybe some of you are guessing who it's going to be. It's going to be Brian Elliott. He's someone that maybe you're still holding on to as a goalie that you expect could challenge Jake Allen, get some starts every now and then, maybe split time, you're hoping. I think it's about time to give up hope. I was hoping that as well. You know, I drafted, I talked about it on the show. I drafted him in the Cupful, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League as my third goalie. I thought he was a solid choice. He was splitting starts with Allen at the start of the year and not doing terribly great, but not doing terribly either. But it's just been all Jake Allen all the time for the past month. Elliot has only played in three games in November. And that's probably going to be his final number. Three starts in the whole month. That's not a goalie that you can really rely on. And Jake Allen, like you could tell that St. Louis is going to roll with him. Like I think it's actually the thing that makes me 
the most convinced that Allen is going to be the goalie they go with is they're still playing him even after he has bad games. It's not as if Allen is on some unsustainable pace. Like he is overall, he has a 930 save percentage on the year and that's not going to be sustainable. And he had a couple of bad games. You know, he had four goals against against Detroit, four goals against against Pittsburgh. Both of those games, he had less than a 900 save percentage, but both of those games, St. Louis brought him back to play the next game and he's bounced back after all of those weak starts. So at this point, I really just think you got to give up on Brian Elliott. He's basically an anti-Ranta to me at this point. So if anti-Ranta is a free agent in your league, I don't see why Elliott should be as well. I dropped Brian Elliott from the Cuckupful to pick up Connor Hellebike, and I'm excited to see the dividends that's going to pay for me. But even if Hellebike doesn't turn out to be what we're hoping he will be, I'm not going to really regret having dropped Elliott at this point. And by the way, no one has rushed to pick him up since I dropped him. Yeah, that's a tough cord to cut for anybody who drafted Elliott thinking, well, he's going to see half the starts on a very good St. Louis team. It does look like Jake Allen is running away with it. And before Allen owners get too smug, his save percentage is going to come down a little bit. He won't keep up, but he will keep getting these starts, or at least it seems that way. Elon, you asked Rob Tufts on Twitter, who guessed it on the show about this time last year, whether or not, like, it's a very, very close observer of the Blues, if he expects Elliot to remain in the conversation to be, like, at least a member of a tandem. And the answer that came back from Rob was simply... No, not really. It looks like it's Allen's ball to run with. They think he's ready. Even if he falters, they're going to keep going with him. So congratulations to anybody who picked Jake Allen in the who will win the number one job in St. Louis sweepstakes. All right, and moving along with our list of outjuries, let's talk about Patrick Eliash. He's someone we mentioned a few weeks ago saying it's looking like Eliash might actually play. And I remember on our Facebook group when I posted something about this, someone responded, oh, I thought he retired. But no, he's still in the league. He's been back for three games now for the Devils, and he's got two points. He didn't do anything in his first game back, only played 14 minutes and 50 seconds. But then in two games against Montreal over the weekend, he had an assist in one, a power play assist at that, and then scored a big goal yesterday against Montreal. Four shots on goal in the game total. So Eliash is, like, I don't want to go crazy and say that Eliash is being like the Eliash of old. Like, I'm not going to expect 60, 70 points from him. But if you're in a deep league, here's a guy that is almost for sure available. He's 0.6% owned right now on ESPN. And... You know, like we were concerned about where he would fit into the lineup. He's currently just on the third line with Jacob Josephson and Jordan Tutu, but he has climbed his way quickly onto that top power play, which does have a lot of names. Some like who's who of Devils players breaking out this season with Camilleri, Henrique, Stampniak, and Eliash. And then on defense, I guess John Moore. That defense, by the way, does anyone own a defenseman on New Jersey right now? Did you even know that John Moore, Brian, was on the top power play? I didn't until just now. But Eliash is there. And I think, again, in a deep league, and I'm especially in a deep league where it was really hard to find a good left winger, I'm happy to have Eliash in that slot right now. Yeah, sure. And like, you know, we got into this last week about what you can expect from Eliash this season. And it's not as much like you said, Elon, like we would have expected in his heyday and he's coming off an injury, but it is a promising start. It's a good thing to see him producing. I'm happy that he's putting up points. Being on the third line in New Jersey is a little bit concerning. I'm wondering if they might try and bump him up to the second line because right now, Sergei Kalinin is playing on the left side there. And I wonder if this is more just like a spreading it out. They need somebody responsible to be on that third line because if Eliash isn't there, it's Kalinin, Josephson, and Tutu. And, you know, I don't think they want to count on either of those guys to play extremely well if they get matched up against another team's top line. And Brian, now that we're talking about New Jersey, why don't we just take a quick minute to update on some of these players? Like, I think it was a month ago where I was away on vacation and you had some devil's talk with Dmitry Filipovich in that great episode. 
and you talked about all of the players who were hot, and then I think the conclusion was, yeah, you can expect some production, but it's definitely not going to continue. But, you know, it's been a month in the last 30 days. I'm looking at some stats here. Lee Stempniak has 11 points in his last 13 games. Mike Camilleri, 12 points in his last 13 games. Mike Camilleri, by the way, we've had some people asking us about dropping Camilleri for some of the various hot players. Like, no, in my opinion. Camilleri is playing at a point-per-game pace. Even if you think he's going to cool down, to me, that's cooling down to, like, a 65-point pace. I wouldn't drop him for anyone below that. And, Brian, I'm sure you want to comment on Camilleri. But, yeah, Stempniak, 11 points in the last 13 games. Adam Henrique, 10 points in his last 13. Kyle Palmieri, 10 points in his last 13. You know, the one guy who has fallen off after having a really nice run is Travis Zajac, and I know that you predicted that, and I agreed with you. But these other ones, Henrique, Stempniak, and Camilleri, basically the first line, and then Palmieri on that second line, they're not going away. Yeah, I think that just about sums it up. Like, I, I don't know what else there is to say except that these guys keep producing and, like, there are some high shooting percentages in the group, but they are, like, they're doing okay. Everybody's doing fine in New Jersey. The fact that they've kept it up for 10, 15 games for the most part is very promising. It's nice to know that if you drafted Camilleri, like, you know, I think you might have expected him to be reasonably okay like 55 60 point pace but having his line mates around him succeed is going to bump that up and we've seen the early returns on that elon like you said 23 points in 23 games for a guy that you might have picked in like the very last rounds of your fantasy draft if you have any devils still on your wire and you've just been like ah but they're on new jersey i don't really want them you really need to start reconsidering at least at this point stream them in if they go cold for a week just stream them back out but the new jersey devil stigma has kind of worn off already. And that's saying a lot because it was very strong in my perception. Yeah, well, I actually dropped Tyler Ennis in my deep league, the aforementioned deep league where I picked up Eliash. I dropped Tyler Ennis for Lee Stempniak, who for some reason someone dropped. I don't understand these people who drop the players on hot streaks. Like if anything, at least try to trade them. But yeah, someone dropped Stempniak and then I'm the beneficiary. I was planning on waiting for Ennis to go on IR, but I don't know when that's going to happen. And I thought, whatever, I'll just make the move. I don't think people are going to be rushing to pick up Ennis. So I'm excited to see what it'll be like having Stempniak on my team. I hope he can keep it up. Top line, top power play. That's what we like to hear. Okay, and I feel like all of our outjuries we've been really positive about. So here's maybe a surprisingly disappointing outjury. Justin Schultz has been out for a long time on Edmonton, and I would have expected him to come right back to playing on at least the second, if not the first power play on the Oilers. But he actually had no power play time in his return against Pittsburgh. Only played 17 minutes and 52 seconds. I guess you could say he's just being eased in, but... If Justin Schultz isn't on the power play, he already was kind of a disappointing player to own and wasn't meeting the potential that we thought he had as like a power play quarterback on this high-powered offensive team. At least the power play has a lot of high-powered offensive guys. But if Justin Schultz is not on the power play, to me, he's like completely useless. And it's very interesting for a guy like Oscar Clefbaum or Andre Sekera, you would have assumed one of them would have been bumped with Schultz returning. But so far, no. So maybe Clefbaum will be able to keep up the production he's been putting up and Sakara, well, he got an assist yesterday. So, I don't know, not great for Justin Schultz. If you're a Justin Schultz owner and you were holding on to him while he was injured, you might want to be concerned, but obviously maybe wait a couple of games and see what happens with this power play. Yeah, see if he can work his way back on it. And he's always been, like, a sort of guy who is a marginal fantasy guy, but fools a lot of people into thinking he's more than that because, you know, he's got upside, and if he plays on that top power play in Edmonton, it's so stacked. But he's never really truly delivered. I I feel like he's very much a Jack Johnson type. Like, you know, he can do a little bit for you here and there, but if you're looking for steady production and, like, a really reliable guy to have in that roster spot, Justin Schultz is not your man. And Oscar Clefbaum has definitely 
made a case to be someone who gets a little more responsibility with his team. Of course, he's been cold in his last four games, has no points, only six shots, but still on the season. He has 11 points in 24 games played and has picked up three power play assists along the way. Not a big shot taker. That's okay. I'd still maybe be as interested in him right now as I am in Justin Schultz. And hey, you know, now's not the time to be slighting Jack Johnson. He's been getting huge time on Columbus with John Tortorella in charge, and he's got four points in his last eight games, which is good production for a Jack Johnson. That's what you hope to get from a guy like him, and he's taking his turns on the power play. Sure, that wasn't meant to be a slight to Jack Johnson at this point, but I mean, remember the first 10 games of the season and over stretches of his career, just seems like a guy who should have cashed in a little bit more often than he did given the opportunities he was seeing. Someone else in Columbus, by the way, who's playing with him on the power play, David Savard, I think I mentioned him recently. He's on my team, so I've been watching him closely. He's been doing very well lately, like maybe not lighting the league on fire in terms of scoring points, although he is almost at a half point per game pace, 11 assists in 25 games played so far this season, two of them coming on the power play. But where I'm looking is like with some of that point production, Plus, you see he's getting a couple shots and a couple blocks each game. So if you're in a league where, like, maybe Michael Stone has some value because of the shots and blocks he gets, don't overlook David Savard, who has been doing very well for himself, has a few, like, four and five shot games so far this year, a few, like, three, four, even five block games also. He has single-handedly made me compete unsuspectedly in the blocks category for the last couple weeks. And he might be a good depth add if you're looking for one right now. And since we're on Columbus and we're talking about outjuries, we should mention Brandon Dubinsky came back. But you already know that because he made headlines for cross-checking Sidney Crosby and getting suspended for a game. But that suspension has already been served. And Dubinsky will be back next week. And maybe he's a guy to add. Like, he was dropped a lot in ESPN, down to like 30% owned. But, you know, in his two games since returning, his first game against New Jersey, nothing to write home about. Nothing really happened. But then against Pittsburgh, he had an assist, three shots on goal, 19 minutes and 33 seconds of ice time, four hits, two penalty minutes. Only two penalty minutes, but he got suspended. But anyway, he's a guy, you know, that multi-cat stud guy who can potentially give you offense, plays on the power play. So... You know, don't forget about Brandon Dubinsky. He plays at, like, a 60-point pace, I should mention. Like, if he played a full, healthy season, which is very rare for him, he does play at a 60-point pace. But you have to account for the fact that he's going to get injured and maybe suspended for little bits of time. And I guess, Elon, we can't leave Columbus because there's a lot to talk about after such a terrible start to the season where nobody was doing anything. Things are clicking, and if you haven't noticed, it's time to notice. We have Ryan Johansson with eight points in his last eight games. Brandon Saad has eight points in his last 10 and is taking a ton of shots on goal. Boone Jenner, of course, is doing well as well. Nick Foligno is the one guy who you probably still are not supposed to get very excited about with what we're seeing from him at this point. But all of a sudden, we are seeing some relevant Columbus forwards, some relevant Columbus demon, and Bobrovsky has been holding his own as well in net. So things are looking up for any Pulis who invested heavily in Blue Jackets on draft day. Yeah, Ryan Johansson is climbing his way back to point-per-game pace. He's now up to 20 points in 23 games. He's going to be close. Don't pay attention to any of this stuff about him and the coach having issues. He's going to be fine. He's going to be your valuable fantasy asset for a long time to come. Okay, and Brian, one more outro. I always feel like I do one more than I was supposed to do. But how can I not mention Semyon Varlamov is back? And, you know, if he just came back and started doing well, that would be it. It would be a pretty boring thing to say. 
But unfortunately, in three games since his return, you know, he had a really good game against Winnipeg. And then after that, two clunkers. Again, he got pulled against Ottawa after letting in three goals on 15 shots. Then yesterday against Winnipeg, nothing to write home about. He got the win because Michael Hutchinson didn't fare much better, but only an 8.93 save percentage. And I'm saying all this, making it seem as if, like, you should be worried about Semyon Varlamov, and maybe you should for the save percentage, but... Red Obera, who did have that good run and who we've talked about a lot lately, I read a quote that Patrick Waugh said, like, Varlamov is his starter. He's not going to be, you know, handing the reins over to Bera. So I wouldn't jump on Bera right now, even though Varlamov is having this shaky return. Yeah, Patrick Waugh has ridden Varlamov a ton through thick and thin. And we mentioned, like, that list of goalies who have played awful at even strength so far this year. And Varlamov was right at the bottom of that list. I don't expect that means his job gets taken away or even threatened, especially given what Barra has shown so far this year. He did come in and have a 923 save percentage over about half a game against Ottawa when he relieved Varlamov, but Varlamov, in my mind, is still undoubtedly the number one guy in Colorado. Okay, now we're done with outcheries. We still have a whole bunch of players we still want to talk about. Before we get to it, Brian, let's thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson for supporting the show. We love you guys, and it's so fun interacting with you all the time on our patron-only Facebook group. It's like where I spend most of my time on the internet, most of my time in general, actually, if you'll ask my wife anyways. And access to that Facebook group is a perk, something we give to say thank you to the people who are supporting Keeping Carlson for $5 a month. Obviously, if you're not a patron, you have the option of tweeting at us at Keeping Carlson, asking us fantasy hockey questions. We're happy to help you there. But if you want to ask a fantasy hockey question in potentially more than 140 characters, and if you want to get responses from a whole bunch of really smart fantasy hockey minds, as well as Brian and myself, you've got to become a patron of keeping Carlson get an edge it's worth it I think just to be in that Facebook group and also you support a podcast that I hope you like right and you can look at it either way you want whichever way makes you feel better either to know that you're supporting more episodes of keeping Carlson or that you are getting to join a really fantastic place to chat fantasy hockey ask questions answer questions and figure out exactly what you need to do on even a daily basis we have these lineup dilemma threads that we've been posting all through the week because the schedules in the NHL have been so cluttered. There's a lot of who should I bench, who should I start. We've had huge like 70 comment threads just about those lineup decisions. It's been a lot of fun to be in them and we'd love for you to join as well. And also like Elon said, you know, you can ask us anytime on Twitter, but we do give more thorough and multi-part responses on Facebook as we do on Twitter. And actually, Elon, if you don't mind, I'd like to jump to one right away. Is that okay? Uh, Sure, go for it. Can I just really quickly thank one of the patrons I wanted to mention, Kier Wesselow, for signing up recently. Thanks so much, Kier. And thanks to everyone. Okay, Brian, read us something from Facebook. Okay, well, we had one of our patrons just join the group last week. Simon came in and asked, hey, guys, I'm new here. What is with Jason Spezza's shots on goal this year? He's way above career average. Is this sustainable? I have him on my team and love, love, love players with high shot on goal totals. Someone after my own heart. Is this a sell high opportunity or will he keep this up? Yeah, that was an interesting question because I feel like normally in fantasy hockey, you think about, oh, is a player's production going to be kept up? And one of the things I like to look to is his shots. And I go, oh, if his shots are high, then maybe that's a better chance that he'll be able to keep it up. But here it's like, how do you tell if the shots are sustainable? I've never really heard anyone ask that before. Yeah, and Spezza is shooting about three shots on goal per game. And like, it's not terribly uncharacteristic, but it is high for what we expect from him and what I would have expected had I drafted him. Like, he's been a guy who's been under three shots a game for the last couple of years. And what the answer entailed was like, this is no accident for Spezza. He is throwing pucks towards the net like never before, currently averaging more than five extra shot attempts per 60 minutes than he was last season. 
and the last season, his attempts per 60 were the highest they've ever been since at least 2007. So he is improving upon an improvement. This is like a sort of a new role, a new life for him in Dallas. And I shared my theory. Actually, I'm just going to sort of like read verbatim my answer on Facebook to share with you because it essentially gets to the heart of it. And I get the sense that Spezza has been asked to be the trigger man on the second line this year, which is a bit of a role change for him. Not playing with Hemsky much as he was last year, who may have been the guy that Spezza was trying to set up because they had some great chemistry in Ottawa. And Spezza is often playing with Yanmark and Nichushkin or Ease, and none of those guys are putting many shots on net. So somebody has to on the second line. And then there's the matter of Jason Spezza's goals so far this season. He's always been more of a setup man. Right now, he already has nine goals in 24 games, which puts him on pace for about 27, which would like eclipse anything he's done in the last two years. So that's really exciting for anyone who owns Spezza and maybe a little bit concerning. And I think there is some reason for that to be concerning because of all the five on five goals that Spezza has been on the ice for this season. He's been the guy who scored them 90% of the time, and that's insane. Over his career, he's generally been around the 25% mark in that category, never having more than a 35% share of all the goals scored while he's on the ice. But then again, you look at that second line and you wonder, who else is going to score on the second line if it's not him? And if he's not looking to pass as often as he has in the past, then maybe he can keep that up. Not 90%. That's crazy. That's totally abnormal for any forward in the NHL. But even like a, you know, a slightly significant downgrade would leave him far above his career mark. So, you know, to answer the question, yes, I think Spezza can sustain this. And whether he does or not probably depends on whether his coach, Lindy Rev, is going to ask him to switch up his role. And that might actually be influenced by whether his line mates ever seem ready to generate offense as well as he can. And I also wonder if other teams or when other teams are going to start to clue in that when they are against that Dallas second line, they really only need to zero in on Spezza because nobody else is doing much of anything and he's doing a lot of everything. And that is essentially verbatim the answer that I gave Simon in the Facebook group a week ago. You could have known that a week ago had you been in the Facebook group. Of course, there is a ton more questions and answers like that one all through the Facebook group. This has like been an unexpectedly extended call for patrons, but we love it if you support the show. We're also very close, as we've said, to that second patron cast. Didn't mean to go back into the whole patron business, though. We can move on. Okay, yeah, but check it out. KeepingCarlson.com slash patron. And as far as Jason Spezza goes... Yeah, very pleasant surprise this season. Maybe you would have thought going into the year it's either going to be Patrick Sharp or Jason Spezza benefiting from playing with those two superstars, Sagan and Ben. Turns out Sharp gets to be on the first line and do well. Spezza gets to dominate the second line. You've got Klingberg on defense. Yesterday when I saw that Minnesota was going to be playing Darcy Kemper, the first thing that I thought for the game against Dallas was you want to take all the Dallas players for daily fantasy sports. And actually after two periods, Kemper did pretty well, was shutting them out. But then of course he blew it. Dallas won the game. All the expected guys got points. Obviously, it's Darcy Kemper. This was no surprise. Yeah, that wasn't news. Let's move on. Still at least a handful of players, Brian, I want to talk about. Let's start with a guy who has finally been called up. Ryan Strom is back on the Islanders after his long punishment of a stretch, you know, being sent to the minors. He was there for like, it felt like a month or something. But now Strom is back. He's played two games. I'll tell you the good news. I'll tell you the bad news. What do you want first? Start with the bad news so we can end with the good. All right. Sounds good. So he's only averaging around 13 minutes a game since he's returned. Again, only two games. So 13, 17 and 12, 29 in those two games. He's playing on the third line right now with Mikhail Grabowski and Nikolai Kuleman. Not the best line mates, that's for sure. He's also not on the top power play. Or at least he wasn't 
actually I'm seeing that in their game yesterday. So now we're transitioning to the good news that Strom did actually get some power play time with who are normally the second unit people like Brock Nelson and Franz Nielsen and John Tavares. Well, John Tavares wouldn't be the second unit. I guess they sort of messed around because there was Kyle Poso, Franz Nielsen, Brock Nelson, and John Tavares. John Tavares is on both power plays, I guess. <laughs> that was the case yesterday. Probably a smart move. But yeah, also the good news, Ryan Strom, two points so far in those two games. One goal and one assist. The assist was yesterday against Tampa Bay on the power play. So you're going to see some production from Strom. You're already seeing it. And the question now is, is he going to be able to move up the lineup and get more ice time? I think he's going to have to earn his way back up the lineup. That seems like a silly thing to say. How does someone earn their way up the lineup? Well, by playing the way that he is right now. That was a solid start that he's put together so far in his return to the NHL. And of course, the NHL is where he belongs. So it's nice to see that he's doing something already. I imagine most leagues, like with some kind of depth, he's already been snapped up by anybody eager to see him, you know, come back with a vengeance. But if he's still available in your league, I would consider taking another flyer on him, which is crazy. It's a flyer at this point, even though he was like probably a fifth, sixth round pick in a lot of leagues this season. Yeah, we'll definitely have to watch those Islanders lines. Now that Strom is back, I'm going to be curious to see how much longer Brock Nelson can stay on the top line. Then you've got this interesting second line with Anders Lee and Josh Bailey's getting there, but maybe Ryan Strom could knock one of them out. So I wouldn't be surprised if we'll be doing some more Islanders talk next week. Next player I want to talk about. Okay, here's someone we have to mention, Brian. Let's start sort of transitioning into a lightning round here. We can maybe take turns talking about guys, but I've got a bunch. Evgeny Malkin, holy cow. He has been the best. Like, uh, Sidney Crosby's doing okay. Like, normally I'd be like, oh, Crosby's getting back to form a little bit, having a couple of dominant games over the past week. But we just have to talk about Evgeny Malkin. Yesterday against the Oilers, he scored two goals on 11 shots. He now has 64 shots in 23 games. Like, Malkin's not known for being a huge shot guy, but that was insane. I guess it was against the Oilers, to be fair. But that brings him to 22 points in 23 games. And if you remember, he had the slow start, just like the rest of the Penguins. He's already almost back to a point per game. I don't see any reason to expect him to be less. Last year, he was one of the few players to be well above a point per game. He just wasn't there in the scoring race because he was injured. He always seems to get injured, but this year, he's healthy. He's doing amazing. He's got seven goals in his last six games and three assists. It's crazy. Evgeny Malkin, right now, maybe one of the best players to own in fantasy. But of course, there are also those guys on Dallas. Yeah, Malkin's been very good, and he actually has done well enough to have a seven-point cushion between him and the nearest Pittsburgh Penguin in terms of points scored this season. The next are Crosby and Kessel with 15 each. And then after that, Elon is a player who we had listed as a snoozer going into this week. And it's like a very difficult snoozer because it's Patrick Hornquist. He has just eight points in 23 games played so far this season. And we keep waiting for like this big breakout to happen. And game after game, it doesn't. I actually have him in one league. It's a fairly shallow league. But I put him in my IR when he was like day to day. I put him in an IR plus slot and I haven't activated him for like two weeks and I haven't felt bad about it at all because all my players on my roster are doing very well and he is actually the one that I'm least confident in. So at this point, I'm really just holding him so that nobody else in my league can get him and then I feel terrible when he starts producing. The question is, when will he start producing? We thought that it was going to be a points bonanza in Pittsburgh this season with Malkin, Crosby, Kessel, Hornquist, and then guys like Perron, Kunitz. And of course, Chris Letang on defense. Right, and Sergei Plotnikov, and Nick Benino and Bo Bennett. Like, we thought everybody was going to be able to score. We thought the Penguins would just be putting up points like nobody's business. Unfortunately, that has not been the case. Only three Penguins, Malkin, Crosby, and Kessel, have surpassed the eight-point mark. Stuck at that mark are Hornquist and Perron, and we know how we feel about Perron 
I wonder if it's time to start thinking about Hornquist in the same way. I still have a little more faith that he can turn it around over Perron, but we're officially wondering. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to put it. We're wondering... At the end of the day, though, Hornquist is still playing on the top line with Sidney Crosby, and he's still on the top power play on what should be, like, the best power play, right? Crosby, Malkin, Hornquist, Kessel, and Latang. So it's definitely, I think, too early to drop Hornquist, but, you know, we've started benching him. You know, we also have him in our joint league, by the way, Brian. I don't know if you remembered, but maybe you won't because he hasn't been producing points for us, but it hasn't been that bad because, like, in this past week where there were all these stacked days, we just put him on our bench, let our more productive players play, and like you say, like, I'm happy to maybe not play him if there's someone else I could play instead of him right now until he breaks out of this cold streak, but he's a guy who has a history of being able to put up points. He had such a great year last year when he was healthy. I guess once Crosby starts turning things around, and he sort of has, hopefully Hornquist could latch on and join in. The real concern will be if he gets bumped from the top line or the top power play, which he was for a bit, actually, earlier in the season. So the fact that he's back there is the reason why I wouldn't give up just yet. And in the same vein as Evgeny Malkin, another guy we just have to mention, not much fantasy relevance here because this is a guy who's owned in your league and you're not going to get him. But Patrice Bergeron has been also, like, fantastic. He now has 21 points in 22 games. I think it's very under the radar, the fact that Patrice Bergeron has been a point-per-game guy. Everyone talking about Boston has been talking about David Krejci and his amazing start to the year, and yeah, he has 24 points, so Bergeron's 21 points doesn't even put him first in the team. Louis Erickson, also 20 points, so a lot of great starts for Bruins, but yeah, Bergeron needs to be mentioned, especially because he's been taking so many shots. Like, I don't think Bergeron's known for being a shot-taker. He had six shots on goal against the Rangers a couple of days ago and if you just look at his game log you're seeing points in basically every game i'm seeing he's had points in nine of his last 10 games and that's just because that's as far back as the log goes he's just a consistent guy and i'm really curious to see what he'll be able to do by the end of the season like i wonder if he'll be able to crack the 70 point mark which he hasn't done since 06 07 he got 70 points since then he's hovered around like 64 62 but last year he was only 55 points in 81 games so right now this is a huge i guess resurgence for patrice bergeron in terms of fantasy relevance for points. Yeah, he's often lost in the mix as a player who's lauded for his defensive play and everybody just sort of depends on him. I feel like he's sort of like a Plekanec type in fantasy hockey where... You know, he does his job, he does it well, he doesn't always get picked as high as he should be, but whoever owns him is very happy with no questions asked. Somebody else this season, with a lot of questions behind them, who is performing at a near point-per-game pace, Thomas Vanek. I was actually looking through some trade discussions that I'd had earlier this year, during which, like, I straight up said, uh, Vanek doesn't interest me, can we move on to, like, whoever else is on your roster? But that, I guess, was kind of silly of me. He has 10 goals, 9 assists for 19 points in 22 games played. He leads the Wild in goals. He's second only to Miko Koivu in points on the Wild. And he's second only to Jason Zucker in shots on goal for the Wild. He also has 6 power play points. And he is 8th in the league in points per 60 minutes at even strength. And he is 14th in the league in points per 60 minutes on the power play. So that is a fantastic resume from a player that a lot of us had written off after a 52-point season Last year, his first year in Minnesota, very disappointing. We went into it in great detail in the offseason. So it's nice to see that he's bounced back now. How has he been doing it? Well, his shooting and shot attempt numbers have definitely rebounded somewhat from last year, and they now fit somewhat alongside the underlying numbers that he was putting up in the several years of fantasy production that he has offered in his career to date. Even so, the numbers that he has this year 
are not necessarily as high as they've been in the past and fit in more on like the middle low end spectrum of what we would have liked to see from him in the past when he was putting up more than 52 points in a year. His shooting percentages, both personal and team, have also been pretty favorable to him so far this season. So, you know, I I don't know what to do about him. Like, I keep swinging back and forth, and like I said, I'm going to stick my neck out a bit here, but I don't know, like, how to follow that up. If I'd be sticking my neck out by saying he's going to keep it up somewhat, or that he's going to trail off back to last year's pace. Last year really should have been the outliers. He adjusted to Minnesota in his new role, and he struggled greatly offensively, was not taking shots the way we were used to seeing from him. But maybe he doesn't need as many shots as we would have wanted from him. Like, yeah, his shot rate is down, but his shooting percentage, like I said, is a little high. But over the course of his career, he's had a high shooting percentage before. He's been at 15% over the course of his career, so he's currently at 19%. He's done that, or been close to it a couple times before, but it's not where I'd expect things to average out. And if you look only at his even strength shooting percentage, it's currently six points higher, six percentage points higher than it's ever really been after a full season's work. So that's kind of a big difference. It makes me a little bit suspicious. I think what Vonick needs to do is he needs to keep converting on the power play to get back to the point totals that make him really fantasy relevant. And if he plays reasonably steady, you know, it seems like you have a 60-point player on your hands. He only needs to have like a 50-point pace the rest of the way to hit it. And if he can keep up some semblance of what he's doing right now, then even 65 looks possible. So the question is, do you sell high on Thomas Vanek at 19 points in 22 games played? And like I said, I really keep going back and forth. I can't decide, but I feel like other owners' valuations of Vanek might decide for you. They might not be convinced. We might be seeing the best run of production that we'll see from Vanek all season long, which should mean that you should sell high now. But I'm just not sure what value you're going to get back from an owner who likely and justifiably disbelieves that what Vonick is doing right now is sustainable. So if you own Vonick, you can go fishing for a deal, but I would probably hold unless you're sure you're getting someone who can carry a 60-point pace through the rest of the season. Yeah, that seems pretty fair. And, you know, Vonick's not the only one on Minnesota who, out of nowhere, is sort of starting to do what we expected them to do. Like, Mikhail Granlund, after pretty much doing nothing the whole season, he only has 13 points in 22 games overall, but eight of those points are in his last nine games. So he's waking up. And actually, I didn't mention Outry. Zach Parise is back, and he's done nothing in his two games since returning. So it'll be interesting to see how things shake out in Minnesota over the next month or so. But yeah, right now, Vanek... And some secondary guys like Mikhail Granlund are definitely doing more damage than maybe we would have expected them to at this point in the season. Brian, can I jump now to a couple of defensemen? Of course you can jump to a couple of defensemen. Okay, I have a couple of guys here who are not owned in all leagues, at least according to the stats on ESPN, but I think should be owned in your league. So guys that are jumping out to me right now include Cam Fowler on the Anaheim Ducks. I feel like with the Ducks defense, it's hard to really rely on one of them because there's Lindholm, Fowler, and Vatnin, and they all sort of seem to take turns on the various power plays. You don't know who's going to be the one to get the ball. But recently, Cam Fowler has been doing really well, and I mentioned him also. He's 82% owned in ESPN. Now, this has been climbing steadily over the past month. Like He was at 30 or 40%, not not too long ago, but he has six points in his last six games and even getting some blocks. So if you're in a league that counts blocks, he had a game a couple of days ago against Arizona where he had four blocks. I actually had to choose between him and Boshaman to play that day. And I thought, oh, I need blocks, actually. So even though I think Fowler's more likely to get me points, I'll just play Boschman because I want the blocks. Boschman got no blocks, and Fowler had four. So, you know, that was crazy. That normally won't happen. But Fowler is playing on the top power play right now with Vatnin, and then Perry and Getzlaff, and whoever else gets there on the top line. I guess right now it's Ricard Raquel. But if Fowler's available in your league, 
I think he's someone you should jump on because if you're the top power play defenseman on Anaheim, you're going to do well and he's got a nice run going. Let's see how long it could last. And the other defenseman I wanted to mention is Mark Edward Vlasic, who, I don't know, maybe under the radar, he's got six points in his last seven games, and four of those points are from multi-point games. He had one goal and one assist a while back against Buffalo, and then yesterday against Calgary, a goal and an assist. But he's a guy who I feel like most people don't expect to get much offense out of. He's like a really solid defenseman, and you expect all the offense to come from Brent Burns on the back end there in San Jose. But Vlasic's up to 11 points in 23 games on the season, so that's like over a 40-point pace, and that's pretty good. I think if you get Mark Edward Vlasic right now, off a of free agency, if you have a weak D, you could do a lot worse than Mark Edward Vlasic. I think that he's a guy you can rely on to get you points every once in a while. He's even getting some power play time. The Sharks definitely are scoring goals lately, and Vlasic's been getting in on quite a few of them. Yeah, his power play time has waned a little bit in the last couple games. He was seeing, you know, half or even two thirds of his team's power play time for a good solid stretch. Last couple games, he's just seen about a quarter of it, and, you know, like that sort of thing can be very much influenced by ability to change lines or game situations. But anybody who who was playing that much power play time somewhat recently should be on your fantasy radar. I know he's gone already in a lot of leagues. I feel like he's kind of maybe the Trevor Daly of this season, although Brent Burns is up there on the power play too, but he is also, I feel like he's kind of there by default and he does not have terribly great regular season numbers. He had one thirty-six point season several years back and I remember all the fantasy fervor around him that season following into the next year when everybody drafted him and then promptly dropped him. Aside from that, he's never hit more than 26 points. This year though, he could be ready to do it. So yeah, why not give him a shot if you've got a spot on your roster? But Elon, if you had to make a choice, would you choose Mark Edward Velasquez? or Cam Fowler? Oh, it's easy. Cam Fowler. Okay. No question. Different tiers. Okay, good. I'm glad we could settle that. And I will end the show this week by bringing up a player who I think, I feel like we've brought him up to end the show a few times this season, especially recently. And that player is Brandon Peary, who continues to ascend the Florida Panthers depth chart. He played on the top line last night. It was only one game. And he's still only on the second power play unit. But, you know, he's been decent. He has three goals, two assists, 20 shots on goal in his last 10 games played. I still think of him as somebody to watch rather than rush to grab. Unless you want to make a preemptive strike like called dibs on him in a somewhat deep league. Jonathan Huberdeau was the person who got bumped down to line two, though he's actually been rolling lately, so maybe they were trying to spread him around. He had a very slow start to the year, but he's picked up the pace with a goal and six assists for seven points in his last 10 games played. It took him 15 games to score his first goal, but it looks like he's on track now. And finally, just to close off the Panthers, if you had Yarmir Yager, UC Jokinen, and Vincent Trocek being the team points leaders at this point in the season then congratulations, you were correct. <laughs> yeah, definitely surprised to see Jokinen and Chocek there. And don't forget about UC Jokinen. He's doing pretty well still. I don't see him trailing off too much. He could end up being a sneaky, like, 55, 60-point guy by the end of the year. And as far as Yarmir Yager goes, the man just doesn't slow down. He's got points in his last five games, contributing all the time. And in the last game, he actually left the game early. He still picked up an assist before he left, but the word is he's fine and he's going to play today in the only game of the day against Detroit. And actually, in the Cupful, I see a lot of people have picked up players from Detroit and Florida to try to steal a couple of categories so that will be a fun and much watched game I think for a lot of fantasy players and with that Brian let's call it a show maybe we could go watch this hockey game so thanks everyone for listening this has been a lot of fun and I hope that you've enjoyed it let us know what you think you could tweet at us at keeping carlson if you like the show, we'd obviously appreciate if you could go over to iTunes, give us a five-star review, help spread the word. I've already talked about how you can sign up to be a patron, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. And with that, let's cue the outro music and Brian, read us the credits. Okay, this episode of Keeping Carlson was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from War on Ice, Hockey Analytics, 
Roto World, Dauber Hockey, of course. I feel like that goes without saying. Yahoo Sports and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Great job, Brian. Looking forward to doing this all over again next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Stein.